I love this song, Soak Up the Sun. Have you heard it, Sheryl Crow? It's old. Some of you weren't even born when it came out. Yeah. I want to soak up the sun. Like that song? You see, when my wife and I, I, I made this at one, it was like May of like four or five years ago. Um, it was kind of the best time off my wife and I had. I just thought, hey, we got to go somewhere and just kind of drive. So I made up this tape of all the songs that, you know, I know, like, <laughs> not a tape, a CD. Even that's old too now, but our car has a CD player. Yeah, that's how, you know, you've seen my car. One has no CD player, just has a cassette player. It's a 30-year-old car that I drive. It's called Vintage. Yeah, as long as it runs, right? I, I'm so bad with cars. I don't, I, you know, a lot of people, they love cars. They look, you know, they remember. They'll, they will actually refer to each other by the car they drive, right? Do you know that guy? Oh, yeah, he drives the whatever Lexus. Do you know this person? Do you know people like that? They literally refer to you by the car you drive. I can't remember cars. I, I only go by color of car. We have a blue car and a brown car. One's almost 30 years old. It's a Toyota. And there's one that's 10 years old. That's a Hyundai. I'm sorry, but guess, one which, guess which one runs better? Yeah, isn't that rough? I'm Korean. It's hard for me to say that. But yes, the Toyota runs better. The 30-year-old Toyota runs better than the 10-year-old Hyundai. Yep, truth hurts. Truth hurts just like Buddhists running around wearing curtains. I just thought that was hilarious. Did you loosen up a little bit? We got to soak up the sun. It's summer. It's summer. I hope you're getting happier. Because summertime is when we got to be happy. We're going to soak up the sun in July. And we're going to talk about five qualities of Jesus that will change your life. How does that sound? Now, here's the thing. On your bulletins, you have, we have a very special announcement just about how our schedule is going to be. So I want you to go to the front page, and there's a long write-up here. Okay, and we're going to try it for the next couple of months. That's what we're doing. We're just trying to figure out how this thing called church can work for us. All right, so we're just figuring it out. We try something. If it works, we keep it. If it doesn't work, we switch it up. Can we be flexible? All right, so here, after much discussion with the core leadership of East Cities, and South Cities, actually, so their, their core leaders came out, too, to watch us talk. Um, yeah. Yeah, they, they just watched. Um, our Sunday services will, one, return to a 10 a.m. start time. Okay, so we're going to start at 10. Now, to better meet the needs of the East and South Ministry Centers, as some of you are like, wah, wah, wah. it's a half an hour. Some of you come a half an hour late no matter what. The first, okay, so to better meet the needs of the East and South Ministry Centers, the Kims will be focusing on one ministry center every two weeks, okay? So the first two weeks of the month, it says they, third person. I, we, will be in East Cities, okay? So today's the first week of the month. I'm here. I walk in. I didn't even come particularly. It was 1028. People were, like, shocked. They thought, oh, it's the second coming. <laughs> They're all saying, they started going, is something wrong, you know? 
you know, everyone was so surprised. So the first two weeks of the month, Rob and I will be here for the whole Sunday. It's been a little rough for us. Now, working the two ministries actually isn't that hard. We actually have plenty of time during the week to get with whomever wants to get with us. And we can spend time with people. It's just on Sunday, the services are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. So I'm literally running out of one service. I can't talk to anyone, so it doesn't make me very polite. I preach a lesson all smiley and then run out the door all, you know, anxious. And I run in here trying to kind of figure everything out. And so it, it's just hard to kind of get in the groove. Does that make sense? So um, we're going to try maybe just us being here two weeks in a row, peaceful. And like, like, like Ray said, right, peaceful with my curtain on, just totally relaxed. It's the last time I'm going to refer to that. Don't promise it. You can all just talk to him about it all throughout the rest of his life. <laughs> but what we're going to, so then, uh, so then we'll be here the first two weeks, and then the last two weeks of the month we'll be over in the south. Now, you go, what about five-week months? Well, Rob and I work with churches outside of um, L.A., so on those five-week months, one of those weeks we'll just kind of head out to one of those other churches, spend time with them, and come back. So those five-week months is when we'll be traveling. So we figured that might be a good thing. And then what else? We decided that um, a lot of people want to do midweeks, okay, so, and, and a handful of people do not want to do midweeks, so we came up with a solution, all right? Sound good? Now, when we're not here, Edgar and Don Sanchez will be leading the ministry here, and we found actually another couple, we won't make the announcement yet because it has to be announced in their ministry, that will be working with Las Americas when Edgar and Don are based here, okay? Sound good? So Edgar and Don will be here. They'll kind of anchor it, as well as uh, the uh, the Glens will be assisting them as well, anchoring it here locally. Sound good? Yay, Sanchez's Glens. This is what the core group decided. So, And then also, what else will be happening? The Sanchez is also going to take more of an active role working with both ministries, uh, most likely focusing on our poets, ministry, parents of empowered teens. All right? Now, what else? On the third week of each month, so we won't be here the third and fourth weeks of the month, but on the third week of each month, um, I will lead a men's Wednesday midweek, okay, most likely at Tom O'Brien's house. On the fourth week of each month, Robin will lead a women's midweek. Now, for those who cannot make a Wednesday midweek, the makeup midweek lesson will be taught on the Sunday, either before or after church, after that Wednesday, Okay. So we know that we have a um, kids life stage group that really likes meeting on Sunday. So that's when, if, if you guys can't make it to the Wednesday midweek, then they'll just teach the lesson on that Sunday for your life stage meeting. Nice compromise, right? And for some of you who cannot make it to that Wednesday meeting, then you can join whatever group is going to be teaching that makeup lesson. Sound good? Now. Please talk to your house church leader if you need to attend a makeup midweek. If you know in advance, hey, that Sunday's going to, that Wednesday's going to be hard for me to make. Please talk to whomever leads your kind of house church group and say, hey, I won't be able to make it on Wednesdays, and so I can make it on Sundays. And you're going to discuss with them: Do you come early? Do you, is it better for you to go early, or is it better for you to come late? So do a 9 a.m. makeup lesson, or do one after church, and then we'll decide that, and that's when we'll do the makeup midweek lesson. All right. Now. It says here, on five-week months, some variances may occur to, due to the Kim's travel schedule. For example, okay, not the Kim's. We will be out of town from July 19th through 23rd. 
So the midweeks will be July 26th and Wednesday, August 2nd. So it'll be there on the calendar. It's right there. Okay, the women's makeup midweek lesson will be taught August 13th due to the regional sports fest on Sunday, August 6th. So it's a little complicated. I say, we're going to try this for a couple of months, and then I make it all complicated right at the get-go. But it's listed right there. You can look at the calendar, and that's when we'll be doing our meetings. All right? There you go. Now, where will I be July 19th, 19th through 23rd? I don't want to deceive you. I'm not going to be out helping another church. I'll be at Comic-Con with Edgar and Matthew Sanchez. Right? Matthew here, is he over there? Yeah. Um, we got, we got to, we're going to go to the whole full Comic-Con. Am I excited? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You don't want to know. <laughs> as long as it's not Wonder Woman, right? We're all good. Ah. Those are my private moments. You'll talk to Edgar. Yeah, there you go. Um, real quickly here, let me check one thing. No, there will be the park service is July 30th. July 30th. Why so late? Why so late in the summer? Um, uh, that's when we're able to reserve the park. So we got the park July 30th. It's um, Don Kanabe community park in Cerritos here and we have that reserved so that's going to be a great time as well. Then August 6th though we're going to be in Carson so make sure you realize that it's our sports fest and that's going to be a great time as well. Uh, you know then it becomes kind of trite like it's going to be a great time. What am I going to say? It's going to be a bad time. So anyways John chapter 1. Let's turn there. For July, we're covering Soak Up the Sun. You go, what does that mean? You know, we just got, remember, this year's theme is aspire to be like Jesus. You got to soak Jesus in to be like him. You got to really just immerse yourself. See, I don't know about you, but you see, for me, a lot of people, they grow up believing in God, and I did not. And what helped me to believe in God was understanding Jesus. And if you could really just wrap your mind and heart around Jesus, you will actually start getting a stronger connection with God. In John chapter 1, we're going to be talking about Jesus. We're going to talk about different qualities of Jesus throughout the month of July. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible talks about Jesus. It says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, the Bible says in John, if you read the whole thing, Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is the Word in the flesh. Jesus is awesome. And it says here that Jesus is full of both grace and truth. Grace and truth. You know, it was hard for me. I want you to understand, I spent a lot of time researching for this lesson. And there wasn't a lot of good material out there. It's going to be easy next week to talk about Jesus being full of truth. Truth is actually going to be easy. I can almost preach that sermon every, you know, in, with, it, with five minutes preparation. But it says that Jesus was full of grace. You know, many of us, 
we hold on to our denominational or religious upbringing. Grace. All that tends to mean to us is this notion of forgiveness. Grace is simply that, wow, Jesus forgave me of my sins. And we almost make grace and forgiveness equal, right? We go, oh, God, I need your grace. A lot of times we say, I need your forgiveness. As I was leaving, I was hearing the, the, the lesson, the lesson done in the South. I heard the, the, the guy speaking. He said, gosh, you know, I was grumpy here. I was irritable there, and I needed grace from my wife, from my kids. And a lot of times when we say grace, we say forgiveness. But actually, grace is much more than that. We often just limit grace to the idea of forgiveness, but it's more than that. Forgiveness is just grace in action. It's like saying playing basketball is athleticism in action. Drawing or painting is creativity in action. But grace is bigger than forgiveness. And we're going to talk about that because when you say, man, I need God's grace, I am motivated by grace. A lot of times we just narrow it down to go, you need to be motivated by God's forgiveness. You are such a wretch. God forgave you. Now go forgive or go do this, go that. And we're just kind of just motivated by this moment back when we studied the Bible or back when we just kind of came to Christianity and we thought, man, I am so horrible. I need God. God forgive me. And grace is, forgiveness is part of grace. But that's not all that grace is. Grace is from the Greek word charis. Now, it's spelled C-H-A-R-I-S. Where we get the word charisma, this idea of charity. Okay, but it's C-H-A-R-I-S. And a short definition, what people tend to just think what grace means, uh, oh, charis means is grace, favor, kindness, but it's a little bigger than that. A lot of people say it's unmerited favor. Something you receive that you don't deserve. But it could be also gratitude. Did you know if you look in the Bible, you know, sometimes it says they were grateful. It's the word charis. It's kindness. It's a gift. But it's not just a thing. It's a state of being. The Bible says Jesus was full of grace. It says that we receive grace. Was Jesus full of being forgiven? No, because he didn't need to be forgiven. Was he full of God being kind to him? Not necessarily, because he was in the perfect relationship with God. So I want you to kind of get a feeling, an image, the sense of what grace is. I'm going to try to boil it down because it's not just one thing. And a lot of people try to compartmentalize it. I want it to kind of give like a feeling. Because in English, sometimes words aren't properly translated from the original Greek. Like love, agape, is much deeper. Because when we say, I love ice cream, it doesn't mean we're going to die for it. It might feel like you're going to die if you don't get it. <laughs> but it's just like, it's not something you die for. But we just use the word love. Grace. It's not just a thing. It's not just forgiveness. It's kind of this quality of God. This kind of eager, joyful, happy, 
willingness to give. Kind of this generosity. But it's not just this generosity that just I want to give, but it's, it's measured and it's, ta- it's colored with, infused with kindness, affection, favor. Do, do any of you have siblings? If you have siblings, haven't you ever wondered who's the favorite? Yes, I know. I don't wonder. I don't know. I know. I, I am. No, I'm just kidding. I kind of am. I might be the easiest of my parents' kids in some ways. In some ways, I'm the hardest. But favor, it's just this feeling that someone likes you, loves you, enjoys you, cares for you, feels for you, and wants to give to you. Does that make sense? That's what grace is. And Jesus was full of it. We're going to take a look. We're going to cover two kind of major books. We're going to look at Luke, and we're going to look at Ephesians. And then I have some kind of sidetrack scriptures that we'll just post on the screen. You go, where are the fill in the blanks today? I didn't have the time. Because this was a big, long research project. And grace is big. But rather than just kind of compartmentalize it, which I'm going to do a little bit, we need to start off with just a feeling. It's kind of like a cool Santa feeling, right? When you think of Santa, you don't think of a stingy person, right? You think, ho, 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 let me give you gifts, right? It's this, this, this feel, this just kind of this heart, of this being, the state of who God is. Because the Bible says in 1 John that God is what? Love. And grace is part of being loving. When you are loving, you will be gracious. Well, let's take a look at Jesus. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And I just want you to understand, there are two things that God wants to gift us. It's in his essence, and he wants it to be ours. When you talk about God's grace, you're going to understand it's a measure of two things, God's power and God's love. That's what we see. When we we are understanding God's grace, we're coming into the presence of God's power and his love. In Luke chapter 2, verse 39. In Luke 2, verse 39, the Bible talks about Jesus at a very young age. It says, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. You know, there's this thought, the grace of God was on him. Was it forgiveness? No, because Jesus didn't sin. Remember, grace is not just forgiveness. This wasn't the grace of God was in him. The grace of God was on him. It was given to him, like he was receiving something from God. We're going to talk about empowerment here. Power. The power of God was on him. You know, Mark chapter 7, verse 37. Let's take a look at some pictures of who Jesus was. We're going to look at some scriptures up here. Mark chapter 7, verse 37. I'm going to read it to you. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. When people saw Jesus, they felt like he did everything well. Why? Because God's grace can empower you with great abilities, skills, gifts. Did you know that? 
If you have a talent, that's part of God's grace. And Jesus, when he grew up, God's grace was upon him. Was upon him. God was giving him all these sort of gifts. And when people saw him, they said, man, that guy does everything well. Because he was receiving all these gifts. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Did you know your gifts are a form of God's grace? Romans 12, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And it goes on to list. Did you know your gifts are a form of God's grace? You are intended to be powerful. You have gifts. And you know what you want to do sometimes? I don't know about you, but for me, I sometimes I want someone else's gifts. Don't, haven't you ever felt that way? You want to have what someone else has. I wish I were as smart as that person, as good looking as that person, as athletic as that other person. Sometimes we want someone else's gifts. And see, God's grace isn't just forgiveness. It's God's abilities and strengths and talents and experiences. The wealth of who you are is part of God's grace. Are you grateful for it? Are you aware of who you are? See, David in Psalm says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes we just got to get grounded in who and how God has made us. We can get so caught up in who we're not and what we don't have, we don't celebrate God's grace. Jesus was powerful. God's grace was upon him. God's grace is upon you. We need to be a group of people that celebrate our gifts. Some people, we should, we, we're afraid sometimes to just say, well, I'm really good at this. We go, oh, oh, that's bragging. That's boasting. No, you know what? God's gifted you. And, and Jesus walked around with great confidence. And when people saw Jesus, they went, wow, he does everything well. That's pretty cool to be able to do everything well. You know, a friend of mine, uh, they, they have this little kid, right, a little baby, two years old now, so it's a toddler. And they both, they graduated for Stanford. One, one's an oral surgeon, the other one's a nurse practitioner. And they have this little kid, and they're doing all the things that I don't do with my kids, like speak to the child in Spanish, even though they're both African-American. Um, he played basketball for Stanford. They, they just, they're just doing all these things, right, teaching the child to be bilingual, teaching them all the letters in advance. And so then on top of it, they're showing me this video, and this kid with one hand just starts just throwing things into this basket. Whoosh, one, whoosh, two, whoosh, three. I'm like, okay, this kid's going to be smart, good-looking, and athletic. I was talking to this other parent. He was going, man, it's just so stressful. I go, why? He says, well, because I have to take my child to all these tennis tournaments all over the, you know, L.A. area, Southland, because they are so good at tennis that I have to go take them to these tournaments because they're so nationally ranked and blah, blah, blah. I go, yeah, I don't have the stress of having exceptional children like that. We call it Korean bragging. You should see how Koreans brag. They brag by complaining, oh, my daughter, she just won't stop reading. <laughs> she just won't stop reading, you know. I tell her, hey, God, stop. Go out and play. Don't study so much. You know, it, it's interesting, but a lot of times we want gifts. We want everyone else's gifts, but gosh, God has made you awesome. And it's, it's important to know. 
And see, Jesus was amazing. He just did that. He, he was gifted. He, he, God's grace was upon him. He did everything well. Yes, that meant he knew the law. That meant he threw something and poof, three-pointer. That meant when he healed people, they really were healed. He didn't touch their arm and it got it went from broken to fractured. No, it was brand new. Let's go on. Luke chapter 2 verse 51. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart and drew Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Did you know that favor is just the same word as grace? He grew in grace with God and man. You see, the reason why they don't choose grace, because like, why would Jesus need grace from man? You see, because grace is bigger than just forgiveness. Grace is just this sense of favor. Favor, like this is my favorite ice cream. This is my favorite restaurant. This is my favorite TV show. It's something you like. And Jesus, when he was growing up, before he started preaching the word and getting people ticked off, people go, wow, we really favor him. God looked at him, and this is my son with whom I, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. See, there's power that you receive. God's grace gives you power. He gives you gifts. And it's important to know how gifted you are. But number two, God just likes you. God's grace is his favor favor. I like you. You know, I, I, I DVR you because I want to watch what's going on with you. You know what? I, I, I follow you on Instagram. I favorite you in my whatever web thing, internet browser. I like you. Favor. It's just that love, that kind of Willingness to be, the, you know, enjoy someone, want to give things to that person. So when I think of favor, I think of blessings. Because there are three things when you think of God's favor. You are liked. God has a kind heart to you. And God wants to help you. Right? You're like one of Trump's kids. How great are they really? You know, when you got a billionaire father, it just kind of gives you all the opportunities. It's interesting, right? But don't you want that? Don't you want that? How many of you wanted like some really rich parent who just gives you stuff, right? You want, you want that. Don't you want to find out your long lost royalty? Like, you know, you go that DNA, whatever, and then someone calls you and they said, hey, we re received the results of your DNA test. We found out. You are the actual long-lost king or queen of a country that's been yearning for its ruler, and they have wealth upon wealth for you. You go, ah, that's cool. I want to be that favored. But see, that, that's the thing. God, Jesus was filled with that favor from God. God wants to give that favor to you. Just this notion, God likes you. He has a kind heart towards you, and he wants to help you. How much would your prayer life change? If you felt favored. We're going to go on just for the sake of it. But this is a picture of grace, right? See, grace isn't just forgiveness. It's this feeling, this heart, this attitude God has towards us. Luke chapter 4. 
So there's power. And then there's love. In Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues and everyone praised him. So when Jesus came out of the desert, he had power. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on, on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That is powerful. To walk in and say, I am the answer to God's promises. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? His gra- those were gracious words. His words to say, hey, I am here to fulfill God's promise. You know, that sounds boastful, doesn't it? It says, no, this is God's grace. I have a mission by God's grace. Once again, grace brings power. By God's grace, you know you have a mission. You know God's grace actually gives you a mission? When they say, hey, there's God's grace, it's not just forgiveness. It's that God thinks you are important. God thinks you are supposed to make a difference right here, right now. That's what God's grace makes people think and feel. How do we know that for sure? Convince me, Dave. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians is after Luke. We're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You see, the power of your giftedness is connected to the power of your mission, just so you know. The two thoughts are connected. The power of your giftedness is connected to the power of your mission. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 7, it says this, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Giving is a form of God's grace. Why is that? Because grace is also that you are important and have something to give. When God looks at you, he says, you are important and you have something to give. There are too many of us wasting our time and our lives thinking we don't have enough and people need to give to us. And when you're filled with God's grace, you go, man, I have enough, I have a lot, and I'm supposed to give. I'm supposed to help I'm supposed to make an impact on this planet. That's what God's grace is. You can have the grace of giving. Did you know God's grace makes you realize you are generous, you are kind, you are loving, and you have a lot to pass on? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. See, when you think of grace and read it, you know, there are like 150 references to grace the word charis is in there like 150 times over that much just in the new testament 
And you have to look it up in the Greek and in the English because sometimes it's favor, sometimes it's gratitude, sometimes it's grace. But just there's this notion. It's not just one thing. It's just this feeling. I have a lot to give, and I care, and I'm kind. That's what it means to be having God's grace, this feeling, this heart that I have so much to give. And I'm caring, and I'm kind, and I'm generous. That's the notion of who God, I- God I- is. Because God is that way, he forgives us. Because he is gracious, he forgives. Not grace is forgiveness. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. In verse 2. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So the first thing is, once again, that first thing, God's gift. God's gifts are a form of his grace. So Paul says, I have received this grace of insight. I've received this grace that I know the mystery of Christ. So that's a gift. God gives you your insight. God gives you your brain, your heart, your gifts, your body. He gives you those things. But then it says, he also gives me more grace. Let's go in verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul says here, guess what? God's grace gives me the opportunity to preach the word. See, a lot of times we think, oh, well, because he was such a dirtbag, he was totally forgiven, that's why he, he feels so grateful. No, it's just this. Regardless, it says, hey, I have this great noble purpose, this great mission, this great significance that I could give to people and I can make an impact. Haven't you ever had a child in your hand? If you're a parent and you gave, you had your child in your hand, didn't you feel like, wow, I'm important now? Sometimes, you know, you go, this kid, this thing right in my arms is totally dependent on me. And, and what a privilege it is to have a responsibility like this. Now, it's tiring, and it's thankless, and it's worrisome. I'll be quite frank with you. But you go, wow, this is God's grace. You don't go, what a dirtbag I am. God's for, you know, you don't do that. You just go, wow, what an honor. And that's what Paul's saying. Wow, God's grace is just this notion that I can give the message of Jesus to other people. Do you feel that? Do you know the message is so good, pure, and holy that it's a gift? Once again, there's power. See, there's power when it comes into the gifts that you receive, but there's also power in a mission that you have, and that's a form of God's grace, this loving, kind, enthusiastic heart to give, and that's powerful. Let's close out, not close out, last point, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Now, I know that um, the points kind of go back and forth. We go power, love, power, love. So we're going to end with love. Power comes in two ways, in your gifts and in your mission. That confidence to know that you are important on this earth. But the second way God's uh, grace works is what we commonly think of God's grace is his love. This notion that you are favored by God. 
that he's out there just trying to figure out how to give and treat you right. But there's also how the, the typical way we know that God loves us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and, and of the ruler of the kingdom of this air, the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time gratifying um, the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Right there. Lastly, how does God's grace work? In his love through forgiveness. And when our sins are forgiven, that's when we're saved. That's when we know that we can go to heaven. You know, are your sins forgiven? Do you care if your sins are forgiven? Some of us, we walk around and we act very immature. We act like, hey, life's all there for me. Life should be easy. And, and, and we, we talk to people a certain way. We act a certain way. And we just don't walk around thinking, man, I need God's forgiveness. And here, that's God's grace, his forgiveness. Chapter 2, verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incoming incomparable riches of his grace, Grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. You know, a lot of times people, once again, when you water down grace to simply forgiveness only, like grace is the cosmic gift card at Target. Have you ever gotten a gift? You know, when we try to buy gifts and we don't know what to get, we always get a Target gift card for people. You know why? We all need to shop at Target sometime. And you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna hate me for this, but I went to Manhattan. I went, I went to a, a Target, and there was a guy ahead of me. He had a typical-looking wife. He had two kids, and he was buying typical clothes, and he looked very typical-looking. But the guy, the cashier said, "Hey, can I take a picture with you? Because you came last time. I didn't take a picture with you." He said, "Okay." So they take a picture. I said, "Okay." Well, I said, who was that? Steve Nash. It was, it was a Laker. <laughs> I mean, back then he was with the Lakers. Right at Target in the South Bay. Ahead of me in line, buying clothes from his kids at Target. There were no cameras. It wasn't an endorsement. Right? And we just think that's what grace is. It's a gift card to Target. You know, here you go. I get this. I can buy whatever I want with it. It's free. It's free. It's free. Free isn't exactly what God's talking about. Grace is undeserved, but it doesn't mean you do nothing. Just because you can do nothing to deserve God's grace doesn't mean you do nothing to get it. If I gave you a gift and you never opened it and you left it right here at Whitney High School and you left, you did not receive the gift. You have to unwrap it. You have to pull it out. You have to use it. Just because you have to do something doesn't mean, wow, I earned that gift. I'm not, you don't go at a birthday party. What, you wrap these gifts? Ugh. And you just unwrap them and you take them and you go, because I unwrapped them, I earned this gift. You take that gift back. Lazy good for nothing. 
It says grace is not forgiveness. Grace is the heart of God that gives forgiveness. Through God's grace, we are saved. Through God's heart to love and be kind and generous and giving to us, we are saved. But it's through faith. And faith, remember, is not just what you have in your head and your heart. Faith comes from what you do. How do we know that in verse 9? It says this. In verse 8, Ephesians chapter 2, it says, uh, For it is by faith, grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Work is impar- is par- good work is part of your creation. It's part of who you are. You can't have faith without doing good. And by, by doing good, and you, you get access. You have the faith that accesses God's grace. You go, I need more proof. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 23. Because this is the thought that ends Ephesians. Ephesians 6, verse 23. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad we have the mission to live out our faith by loving like Christ? It's right here. It's literally how Ephesians is tied up. And it says, grace to all who accept God into their lives. No, it says, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. See, grace. Grace isn't just a free get-out-of-jail-free card on Monopoly. It's not just a gift card you get at Target so you can just buy whatever you want. Grace isn't that. Grace is the character and heart of God. Grace gives us power. Grace gives us love. And yes, grace is what forgives us. It's God's heart of grace that allows us to be forgiven. But that forgiveness doesn't come cheap or easy. It comes when you decide by faith to love God and to love like him. So I just want to give you a biblical grounding in grace. Is that a good picture? I mean, it, we have to change our brains, just so you know, because I'm telling you, when I say grace, you think forgiveness. When we talk, we just, oh, God's grace, I've been forgiven. Mm-mm. God's grace is his heart and his character. And from that, we receive power through our gifts and through our mission. And from that, we receive love by God's favor and his forgiveness. So hopefully this helps. I think we're done for today. Have a great time in fellowship. Yes. Leaders meeting will be at 1230 over in the building back there. Thank you.